0: Welcome to Operation Crest Podcast. I'm Jaslyn, And I'm Mallory. And we are the co host of today's episode. Operation Crest is an effort from the 957 Project to empower high school students like us to preserve memories of Americans' veterans and to share their stories of courage, resilience, service, and teamwork. Each of these interviews will be donated to the Library of Congress to be preserved for future generations and you can hear other episodes of this show wherever you get your podcast. Be sure to stick around at the end of this episode to hear us reflect on what we learned during the following conversation. Learn more at www.The957Project.org slash Operation Crest. And now let's begin the show.
1: Today we are interviewing Mr. Tim Huggins, retired sergeant first class. Mr. Huggins was born in 1981 in the Mount Pleasant neighborhood of Washington, D.C. and has two kids aged 19, Anthony, and 11, Kennedy. He joined the Army in January of 2000 and was sent to the 25th Infantry Division at Schofield Barracks in Hawaii. Tim served as an infantryman and aviation operations specialist and has been deployed to Bosnia, Kuwait, Iraq, and Afghanistan. Some of his awards include the Legion of Merit, the Bronze Star Medal, and the Combat Infantry Badge. He retired from the Army in 2021.
0: Okay, let's begin by talking a little bit about your life before service. Can you tell us about your childhood or teen years, where you grew up, and what you were interested in?
2: So I was born and raised in the nation's capital of of Washington, D.C. in 1981. Uh, I am one of four children. Uh, And I grew up in the Adams Morgan area uh, of Mount Pleasant, that's Northwest Washington, D.C. I had a pretty good childhood. I was known more so as a comedian or a clown uh, than anything. Um, I I got into a bunch of things just as most kids do. Uh, Growing up in the city gave me a lot of opportunities. It exposed me to a lot of different people uh, who didn't look like me, who didn't pray like me, who didn't go to the bathroom like I did uh a little bit of a sensory overload growing up in such a diverse place but i always wanted to be a united states secret service agent uh back in that time frame there was a movie with clint eastwood called in the line of fire uh where he played a secret service agent and that film was actually some of that was filmed in washington dc so we actually got to go outside of our school and see a little bit of the filming but from that day forth it was etched in my brain that i wanted to guard the president of the united states Uh, And the first step in doing that would be going into either law enforcement or the military. I was too young for law enforcement at the time of 18. Uh, And the next option uh, was the military, the United States Army.
0: (laughs) Were there any people who shaped your early (sighs) lives?
2: Absolutely. My great grandfather was was an amazing man taught me everything there is to know about standing tall, being a man of your word, taking care of your family, firm handshakes, stand up when you talk to people, all the basic things that I teach my kids to this day. But he was probably one of the most in fact, impactful people. It's good to have a balance of awesome people in your life. But uh, he was a very strong male figure. Uh, he also had served uh, in the military at some point, which he never passed up the opportunity to let me forget. Uh, but uh, he was a really big influence. My mother is also an amazing woman who, uh, I, my personality is very geared towards hers, but I would say between my, my mom and my great grandfather, those were the two biggest people that shaped my life. Okay.
1: Obviously the military has played a huge role in your life story. Tell us about what influenced you or might you decide you wanted to join the military?
2: So around that time frame, well, it's still the same way. Recruiters are relentless, Uh, and I understand that they got a job to do. So a few recruiters were hounding me at the time. There was a an army recruiter who uh, showed up at my house one day and said, "Hey, you know, you need to do something different. This is Washington D.C. You know, statistics are interesting. You might want to get out of here and try something else." And I worked at a grocery food store, Big Chain Grocery Food Store, and I fell between the dock and the trailer offloading a truck. And uh, the, the, the slab that, uh, that goes between the dock and the trailer, it's a flat thing that allows all the items to roll off. It fell on me. And uh, I went home that day and I said, this can't be it for me. So I called the recruiter and he said, uh, what do you wanna do? I said, I wanna leave. And he said, uh, you wanna go to Germany or Hawaii? And I said, uh, that's a trick question. I said, Hawaii, of course. And uh, he said, what do you wanna do? I said, I have no idea. He's like, you like guns? And I'm like, I do, which is a weird question considering the military has plenty (laughs) of guns in every profession. And I chose infantry, which is uh, a short definition of that job is to to find the enemy and and, and engage with them and destroy them. So that's the job I picked, not knowing fully what that job entailed until I uh, I shipped out.
1: Okay. (laughs) From our experiences, family often have Families often have strong opinions about their children joining the military. How did your family react to this decision?
2: Oh, God bless you for that question. I've been waiting for that question for years, because it's a story that's not often told. Um, and me being 18 years of age, I didn't need my parents' consent. So once the recruiter and us, me and the recruiter, shook hands, I went home and I told my mom and dad. I said, "So here's the thing, I'm joining the army." And they just kind of looked at me. It's just kind of like, like the army, army. Like there's another. Alternate army somewhere. I was like, the army army. And she said, oh, like base that's like on the other side of town army? And I'm like, yeah, mom. <clears throat> and she's like, oh, okay. Well, when are you leaving? And I'm like, next week. She's like, oh, okay. Well, where are you going? Like Fort Myers, which is here in Virginia. And I said, no, mom, I'm going to Hawaii. And she just said, that's what you want to do? And I said, yes. Yes, ma'am. And she said, okay. And they threw me a going away party. And I was gone, gone to Fort Benning, Georgia for training.
0: Um, talk to us a little about boot camp and basic training. How uh, was that process of adapting to the military lifestyle for you?
2: Uh, uh, <laughs> so I was I wasn't in the best of shape. I mean, I was a s- fairly scrawny, skinny kid, uh, probably before I went to basic training. maybe about six foot, 165 pounds. But once I got the basic training, the intensity back then, and I don't want to sound old, I'm 42, but back in the early 2000s, the military was a little bit different. So as soon as we got off of these big trucks called cattle trucks, they're big, like metal, they're just, oh, I'm surprised they're not on a Netflix documentary or some form of a horror movie, these big trucks. And we can hear the yelling and the screaming and the doors opening. And all of us just kind of looked at each other like, hey, this is it. And the door opened and all we saw were these big brims and from the nose down. And they're just, you get up, that, that you. And they are real. And there's just so many of them. And honestly, there's like six of them. But the voices made it seem like you could multiply that by 10. We get off the truck. There's nothing right that you can do. If you're running fast, you're not running fast enough. If your bags are together, they're not close enough. And we went through that for the first couple of hours. We got smoked, which is basically a physical get out and do push-ups type of contraption. And uh my big thorn was I smiled too much, and uh that that had that hindered my my time in basic training because they thought that I thought everything was funny or that I just had this smirk on my face that was just either, either condescending or something. But basic training was a nice rude awakening. I learned a lot about teamwork. And battle buddies and taking care of each other and listening and attention to detail and dress right dress, all the basic things. But uh I love boot camp. I love basic training. It was a great experience hot in Fort Benning, Georgia. Uh, but as an infantryman, that is where you have to go to become an infantryman, Fort Benning, Georgia. But it was a great experience.
0: Um, if you had to pick one lesson that boot camp taught you, what would that be?
2: Be where you say you're going to be on time. And uh, you only get so many opportunities to not be on time. And uh, I just know one morning I was dragging a little bit and everyone had got downstairs. We're supposed to be downstairs at nine o'clock and it was about 8.59. Well, as I ran down the steps, I realized I left my canteen, went back up. Then I came downstairs about 9.01 and uh the drill instructor had a lot to say and a lot to do to bring home the importance of being 15 minutes prior and being on time so yeah that's a, that's one of the biggest lessons
1: mm-hmm. if it's okay with you uh we want to transition into talk into discussing your combat service a lot of students my age don't know what being in a combat zone is like could you tell us about that experience for instance how many people were with you during your first deployment where were you stationed and what was your living situation like?
2: So I deployed, I've deployed to four different places. Uh, Bosnia was a peacekeeping mission, um, which was a result of uh, the war that they had over there. I I can't, I'm I'm not too much of a history buff, but it was a massacre around that time frame in the uh, nineties Bosnia area. Uh, Afghanistan, I went as an inspector. So uh, I didn't go in necessarily, it's still a combat zone, but I didn't go in a, in a, Different capacity. Um, Iraq was where I spent fourteen months, most of my most of my time uh, as a combat infantryman. And you train a lot beforehand. You train substantially before you do anything. Nothing is just you wake up in the morning with no training and you go and do it. You train extensively, nighttime, daytime, weather under a lot of different circumstances. It's not for everyone. I will say that uh, you have to be wired a little bit different to to do those things and accept those things. But my f- very first experience with combat was I was sleep, and uh, we had crossed in from Kuwait into Iraq, Iraq in the middle of the morning, and I was severely sleep deprived. And what we were doing was a test fire to make sure all of the weapons systems worked. So I woke up to an immense amount of gunfire, and started to panic and everyone was like, what are you doing? Just check your weapon to make sure it works. So that was my first experience within the combat zone. Uh, I had several engagements with with insurgents and and things like that, IDs, uh, RPGs, suicide bombers. That kind of comes along with the job. It's kind of like a doctor who gets out of med school and then finally gets his residency. He's like, have you done your job? yet?" It's like, absolutely, I've done my job. That's what I'm here to do. So. I had plenty of engagements, uh, some good, some bad, uh, some work out in your favor and some don't, but, uh, once you get that first one under your belt, uh, the only way, the only only thing that can happen after that is a what I call a close call and anything between regular combat and a close call, it's, is easy, mm-hmm. you know, cause a close call is a 10th of a second. Like, maybe I should move from where I am. And that's the lesson. Like, hey, maybe I should have paid more attention to my surroundings and things like that.
1: Okay, people often want to focus on the negatives of being deployed or involved in combat. However, obviously, there was a lot of positive things that you experienced. Can you talk to us about those?
2: First and foremost, I would say the love and support I got from my country, I say that holistically as as a whole, the love and support i got from schools elementary schools from my family just random people sending notes and snacks and and back then you didn't have a lot of snack and food options so if you got a snickers bar or some skittles in the mail it was like the best thing ever but i appreciated the support uh, that my country gave me um, and also bonded with a lot of great people who weren't necessarily from our country who were iraqis or other You know Jordanians, whoever were there working, just as we were. Uh, I got to know some of those guys, and sometimes we go into situations with a preconceived notion about people, and then you get to know them. You say, "Yeah, maybe I was a little wrong about that." So, but you, I met a lot of great people that I'm friends with to this day, and and my deployment ended in 2005. So, I'm still friends with a lot of those people.
0: Um, obviously, you joined the military before the events of 9-11. Students my age were not alive during this event. The 957 project was created so that students could be educated about the sacrifices and courage of the people surrounding that day. Can you tell us a little bit about the events of 9-11 and how they affected you personally?
2: So you're correct. I had joined before 9-11 and I was actually in Hawaii sleep. And there was a time, diff- there was a time difference, maybe five or six hours from uh, DC uh, to Hawaii. And I remember waking up and I had all of these missed phone calls. This was back in the flip phone days, uh, you know, all these missed calls. And uh, some of the voicemails just kept saying, hey, we're being attacked. And uh, finally, you know, service members were knocking on the door, battle buddies saying, hey, we gotta go over to the company area where we work to figure this out. Uh, and I started to see some of the footage and as most Americans, we didn't know much about it uh, until uh, you know the other incident happened and then uh, Shanksville happened and all the other places started to become attacked. But we were vigilant. We were ready uh, for whatever the nation wanted us to do, which wasn't much at the time. But uh, I, th- I think it's awesome that my family thought that me and me only would be the one to fix 9-11 because they just kept saying, what are you going to do? And I'm like, well, I'm a private. So I'm not going to do much but do what I'm told by people who outrank me. Uh, but it was a very interesting experience. I, I, I have family that works in government buildings within the city, obviously, none at the Pentagon, luckily. Uh, but, you know, even some of my aunts, one of them worked at the Library of Congress that day. And uh, you know, being far away from everyone, it, it had more of an effect that I couldn't be there for them. Like I said, they kept looking at me as I were the sole Terminator Sylvester Stallone, you know, character character that could fix everything. But uh, it was it was an interesting moment in time to be alive.
0: Um, you've spent half your life serving our country. As a high school student, even, my experience over the last four years has caused me to think differently about a lot of things. Can you tell me what wider phrase will never mean the same to you now that you've served in the military?
2: Uh, I would say selfless service. I don't think I knew really what that meant until I joined and saw and still continue to see because I still work in the government to a certain degree. So I still get to see the sacrifice that everyday service members make, uh, even though they're not necessarily, all of them are serving in a, in a combat capacity. Uh, some of them are at local level within the state, within the national guards who, uh, deal with hurricane relief, flooding, disasters, and things like that. Uh, and to see a lot of those service members put their country and their state first, um, above their family it's it it requires a lot and as I said before it's not for everyone uh, but there's so many different ways to serve your country it's not just the military because without the support of people like yourselves I couldn't do what I do so it's kind of a we feed off of each other to a certain degree but I would say service selfless service was something I look at completely different now
0: okay um we know from your bio that you've served in a lot of different places where was your favorite place that you have traveled or served in
2: well living in hawaii is self-explanatory uh but other than living in hawaii i would say bosnia is a very beautiful place uh you know nice vegetation big mountain and hillsides I would say Afghanistan is also extremely beautiful. Surprisingly, when we think of Afghanistan, we just sometimes we think of just terrorists, bad things, uh, desert-like terrain. But they've got mountains in Afghanistan that are full of snow at, uh, at elevations unknown to man. Uh, and but you gotta, you know, see it to believe it. Uh, but I would say Afghanistan and Bosnia were probably two of the most beautifulest places um, I've ever been.
0: Um, are there any people that stand out as like memorable for you during your time of service?
2: There's so many. Oh, (laughs) there's so many. Uh, so I, I'm a people person by nature, uh, but I'm also somewhat of an extrovert. So I always remember people that are funny or, uh, or passionate about something and, um, one of my soldiers, Marty's uh, he was an extremely hilarious guy. We, Like I said, we were in the same team together. He had a great sense of humor. He laughed at all my jokes. He made 12-hour 12, 12 shifts, uh, seemed like three hours. We could talk about anything. Um, and he was just an overall good kid. Uh, and he was a little bit younger than I was in combat. I think I was maybe 23 when I uh, was in combat. So he had to have been maybe 21. But he was such an inspiration to me because uh, he was a, sh- a short, small, scrawny kid. He's maybe like five, seven, five, six, five, seven. But he had one of the biggest weapons in the in the platoon. So but he was a great soldier. I, I, I finally was able to reconnect with him a couple of years ago because he kind of you know, fell off the grid a little bit. So I was able to reconnect with him. Marty Scafidi, great guy. I think he's a firefighter now, uh, but he's one of the more memorable guys uh, that I had that I know.
1: Let's talk about your life after the military. What are you doing now that you're no longer serving?
2: Well, retiring, let me say this. Retiring for me was an easy decision. The Army gives you 20 years to do whatever your heart desires. And you do it or you don't. So at some point in in any career profession, you have to look at what you're giving versus what you're getting back. And you also have to look at is there's someone else younger, brighter, smarter, more enthusiastic than a 40 year old. And it takes a different type of person to say, you know what, I'm going to call it quits. I'm going to move out of the way so the next shining star can come in. And that's what I decided. So life for me after the military, it hasn't changed much because I still I'm a contractor. So I still deal with the military every single day. as, as my job. I still stay in great shape. Uh, I, I try to get in there. My, my thing is front squats. I like front squats. So I typically go in and do front squats a lot. Um, I have plenty of tattoos. I love music. Uh, so I've been able to enjoy those things more now that I've retired. Hence, the first thing I did was get a Pink Floyd tattoo on my hand uh, when I left the military because you're not necessarily allowed to have them. But life after the military has been great. I get to spend more time with family and, and, and friends. Uh, I get to be with my daughter a lot more because I'm not working as much and leaving as much. It's been a great life. I, I can't complain. The Army has been very, very good to me. I don't have any complaints about it at all. Like the Army has always said, but for you, Mr. Huggins, or Sergeant Huggins, we'll do something nice for you. They've they've always done that for me. So, but like I said, life after the Army, being a retiree, it's, it's fun. It's amazing. Because I actually am a, I'm a retired veteran, which is odd to say uh, because I'm 42. Uh, but I don't have a problem saying it. It's, it's great. But life, life, life after the Army is awesome.
1: And what are some of the best lessons or skills that the military has taught you?
2: I think the biggest skill the military has taught me is how to talk to people. Uh, Because you don't know who you're going to be sitting across from one day, how they do business or what their motive or agenda is, you know, sometimes you're talking to a two star general and sometimes you're talking to the lowest guy on the totem pole. Um, But I've never had a fear of talking in front of people. In fact, I've taught public speaking classes. I teach resilience. I used to teach resilience in the army. Uh, But. Yeah, I would say it kind of honed my skills on talking to people uh and as always they say seek to listen not to to talk i think or something like that so uh yeah i would say it having been in the army it has made me a little better at, like i said dealing with people talking with people and things like that public speaking skills now, in regards to the leadership, because some people would say that it teach you leadership, teamwork, and all those things. I kind of already had those things instilled in me as just as a small child, like take care of your cousins, do what your mother says, we're a family. I kind of had those things already instilled in me. The army refined them for sure, but it also helped because I was a little bit shyer as a kid, kind of the behind the mother's leg. Like, no human interaction, uh, type of kid. So, but yeah. Maybe better at public speaking and dealing with people. What
1: what would you want your children to know about your service?
2: Well, my daughter, my son, uh, he knows as much as he can Google or figure out when he walks through the house. Uh, My daughter just knows that I left a lot and i don't talk about the military a lot around her it's not because some something secretive or shameful it's just she's 11. um but all she knows is the same as her brother she sees some cool things on the wall and some weird shiny stuff and she sees a couple of pictures of me in uniform every now and then but she doesn't really know dad the service member she just knows dad the stand up like the comedian that's all she knows
1: What advice would you give to someone who's considering joining the military?
2: Well, the first thing I would say is, as I said before, there are more than one way to. There's more than one way to to serve your country. Uh, secondly, you have to ask yourself, why are you deciding to do this? Is it for college? Is it for money? Is it a way out from your current situation? Do you really want to fight for your country? Uh, you have to answer those things first, and then the next question you have to ask yourself is, what job do you want to do? Because That can determine a lot some jobs will burn you out a lot quicker although they may be fulfilling and adrenaline and things like that your body is only meant to do so many things for so long uh, before your knees start questioning your behavior Uh, so i would say once you figure out what job you want and then you figure out how long you want to stay and just maybe stick to that plan because the military's job is to get you and keep you Uh, so Stay firm on what you want to do and what your goals are because the military is an amazing stepping stool. It's not like people, you just go in and people forget about you. It's a lot of networking. It's a lot of good that comes out. I am a perfect example of it. A city kid who barely graduated high school with zero college ends up joining the Army and doing something fairly decent and then being able to get out in the Army say, we like what you did so much we'll let you do something else and we'll pay you great for it uh so the military is a great stepping stool the army is a great stepping stool it's worth a shot and my advice to anyone is just do it for two three years if if nothing else comes out of it you get to go to frankfurt germany for three years or seoul korea or hawaii for three years and you'll be set for the rest of your life being a veteran has its perks uh it's uh privileges as (laughs) that's a word we like to use a lot. Uh, But being a veteran has its privileges and I I would recommend it to to anyone but just two three years see what's at, and call it quits.
0: Um, a lot of people would say you are a hero. How would you define the word hero? I'll
2: be honest with you. There's certain things that I don't really look too far into. Uh, I And the word hero is one of them. I, I think people do heroic things every day. I also find it interesting that depending on what job you have and what you do might not be considered heroic because that's just what you do versus someone who doesn't do those types of things and they do. And it's like, oh my God, that's heroic. A nine-year-old baby lift up a a Chevy Tahoe. That's amazing. Versus, you know, the world's strongest man lifts it up. It's like, hey, you warmed up today for your workout. Good job. There's nothing heroic about that. Uh, But I've never considered myself uh, a hero in any capacity. I know plenty of heroes. uh, But they would probably say the same response I'm saying, which is that they're not a hero. It's kind of like there's this weird meme where Spider-Man's pointing in a thousand directions. It's kind of like who's the hero? It's like he's the hero. So that's kind of how we look at it. But I also look at it as just a day in the office of what I was paid to do and I got to come home and I'm very thankful for that. But I know plenty of heroes. I would just say it's someone who goes above and beyond the call of duty and put their life in danger uh for others. Is where the hero would be. But I am no hero.
0: Um, do you have anyone that you would consider a hero?
2: Okay. Yeah, I do. My platoon sergeant, uh, Mark Larson, who was involved in combat before combat even came cool in previous wars, but he was a, a big stocky guy. Uh, I think he was from, uh, oh, don't get me lying. I think he's from Nebraska, Illinois. I'm sorry. He is a hero. He led this platoon, our platoon, through a lot of things and a lot of, a lot of rough situations. He always maintained his composure, which is astonishing, especially considering that some of those instances were pretty close. <clears throat> he saved my life a few times uh, when the arrogance and youthfulness and cockiness got ahead of me. But Mark Larson didn't did, he doesn't drink, he doesn't smoke. He's just a natural, strong, smart man who just the job was easy for him. But yeah, he's a real hero. I've seen him save three lives one night with his bare hands. And uh he never asked for anything in return after that. He just did what he was supposed to do. Never seen anything like that in my life. He didn't have to do it, but he did it. Uh just to sum up the story really quick without going too far in depth, uh, a truck had fell off of a bridge, a cargo Humvee had fell off a bridge and there were three people inside of it. They were all pinned underneath. The rest of the guys that were with them panicked and didn't know what to do. They thought that some of them fell into the water or the river that was underneath the bridge. We were coming back in off, off of a mission and we decided to go and check that out and seen feet hanging from under one of the Humvees. So that's when platoon Sergeant Mark Larson jumped in with a Gerber, which is a little device that we carry on our belt loops with the like a pliers, knife, scissors. It listens to you when you have a bad day. It does a lot of things. Uh, but he went to open, that, uh, open the bottom of the Humvee using that, and I think an ax as well. And I think he rescued three people. I think two of them were dead uh, and didn't make it. One of them, I believe, survived. Uh, Interesting thing about guys like him, particularly him, that's one instance of him being uh, godlike. So, yeah, he would be a real hero, and I've told him this a million times. I got to visit him. Sorry, this is long-winded. I'll wrap this up. I got to see him again about six years ago, and I hadn't seen him maybe 10 years prior to that. And he just told me how proud he was of me. So. That was a big deal for me. It was like a moment in history. Sorry for that long rant.
1: It's okay. You're okay. This is a podcast that seeks stories of courage, resilience, service, and teamwork. Do you have any memories from your service that match these themes that we have not discussed already?
2: Say those three themes again.
1: Courage, resilience, service, and teamwork.
2: So I would say resilience for sure. Being an infantryman, your whole existence is on being resilient. Because whatever everyone else has, you don't. But you're expected to do more than what they can do. So we're always resilient. We always get the last of the food, the worst of the living conditions, you know, the toughest of the missions. That's what that job entails. Uh, a group of people sitting in the rain, waiting for someone to appear to do a mission. That's uh, that uh, resilience is a whole nother contraption when it comes to my my prior line of. Of, of work. But uh, I had to be resilient a lot. One of my soldiers was expected to go home early uh, just for the two week kind of R&R vacation thing. And and they had to push it forward. And I had to break the news to him, uh, which probably hurt me more than it hurt him. At least it felt that way based off of his reaction. But he was very, very resilient. Like, okay, it's not a problem. Sorry. And it's like, next time. And I'm like, we're going to burn this place to the ground to make sure that you get the strip he's like nah, nah, nah. you can relax we'll be fine uh but he was very 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 resilient about it uh one of the guys i think he had a child while we were in combat uh and i think we had to like, do an operation like the next day and he was like let's do the op he's like hey congratulations on your kid he's like yeah 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 we'll talk about it and then kind <laughs> of the end of it but i would say resilience for sure you gotta be resilient there's nothing worse than looking for someone for five hours and then you find them find the house only to find out that they're not there that they're somewhere else and you got to go to that place so that's kind of being resilient like uh but there's a mission we got to do it for god and country let's go and do it but yeah i i am the embodiment of resilience which i also teach again i'm not trying to plug it but I, i taught resilience in the military uh, on behalf of University of Pennsylvania uh, for a long time. So I love resilience, but it would be resilience for sure.
1: Is there anything that you would like to add that we have not covered in this interview?
2: Well, you know, I'm one of those veterans where I'm an open book. So I would say if you guys have any questions, that you're just kind of like ah i ah, i don't know and then the interview ends and you're like i should ask him like i was gonna ask him but it... you guys are more than welcome uh, to ask i feel that as a fellow american that you guys are deserving of that you know so if you if you guys have any questions uh that you don't know, you felt you didn't want to ask you more than welcome to ask
1: i think we got them all we asked all of our follow-up questions from more questions so yeah
2: sure one thing I will add is thanks for having me first and foremost uh yes. but I also want to want to say that what I stated previously which is there's more than one way to serve your country and it doesn't necessarily mean volunteering for everything with veterans or stuff like that it's just waking up and speaking to someone that you encounter. You know when you walk to the gym you walk to the restaurant and there's someone walking with their head down hello it's something as simple as that and that's something that i've had to learn how to do and i've been somewhat better over the past month of just hello how are you and speaking to people a little bit more and being nicer because you never know someone could be having a bad day and you speaking to them and just them seeing your smile might be enough to make them have a better day that's That's what i was gonna say Thank you for having me.
0: You're welcome. What an impactful experience. So Mallory, what stood out to you most about what Mr. Huggin discussed in his interview?
1: Upon first impression, um, I would say just his attitude and his demeanor and his personality. It was also positive. He was really easygoing and it made the interview really easy because he was just... He was really fun to talk to, and I think that him being positive was really interesting despite what he's actually like been through with the military. Um, what would you say was the most impactful thing?
0: I think the thing that impacted me the most would be his discussion about heroes. I thought it was interesting that he does not consider himself a hero, but he does consider his commanding officer a hero. Um, And it makes me think about something Mr. Huggins said multiple times throughout the interview about how everyone has the opportunity to be a hero and serve their country, but it doesn't have to necessarily be by joining the military. That is one way to do so, but there's also many ways of doing so just by like doing the right thing. I think this is someone anyone could take away from Mr. Huggins' interview, And it really doesn't matter on your age, gender, or anything else, because that is a super impactful lesson he has brought to my
1: attention. Definitely. And I think this uh, ties so well with the concept of resiliency too. Um, It was interesting that one of the major concepts of the 957 project was this idea of being resilient. And Mr. Huggins talks about how he actually teaches classes about this topic. And he mentioned a lot of ideas, but this one sticks out to me most because when we think of our generation, um, I think that it's something we've kind of lost the ability to keep going despite bad things or difficult circumstances happening. We want things to come easy to us, and when it isn't easy, we give up or quit. Our generation needs to learn to be resilient, so I think it's appropriate that this is one of the overarching lessons that Mr. Huggins discussed and how important it is that people understand and live out this concept.
0: I agree. This is, experience has been so eye-opening for us. Um, meeting Mr. Huggins was so amazing. He was so great to talk to, and listening to his thoughts and opinions made me realize so much. The main thing being that he perfectly exemplifies the criteria of Christ: Courage, resilience, and teamwork. <laughs> Thanks for listening to Operation Crest Podcast. If you liked this episode, be sure to subscribe and share. Today's hosts were Mallory and Jaslin and our guest was Mr. Tim Huggins.
1: The music was provided royalty-free by Comma Media. The questions were written by us, and the editing was done by our teachers. Until next time, see ya.